0: A disclaimer, this episode covers some topics that may be potentially triggering for you. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only, and the concepts discussed throughout this podcast have not been fact-checked. If you're experiencing difficult circumstances in your life that you're struggling with, please see a mental health professional.
1: Hello, welcome to the podcast Unhinged. Uh, My name is Tessa. Um, I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Queensland, and I study um, cognitive psychology and all things memory, attention, um, and I particularly explore how rewarding information and information that's relevant to us or the self um, alters these cognitions. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yes, welcome. My name's Lyra. I'm a borderproof therapist. Um, I'm also a PhD candidate in clinical psychology. Um, and I'm also a mom and I feel like that's a kind of like, that's, a, a, a milestone. Yeah. Definitely. Like that, that's definitely key. Yes. Um, and yeah, so this is, this is episode number one. It is. Um, yeah, wait, this What are we going to talk about in this podcast? Like, what do you see this podcast being?
1: I see this podcast... Obviously, I think what we normally talk about just day-to-day anyway is... And things that are relevant to us in terms of, like, yeah, our mental well-being, um, mental health. Obviously, study is a lot for us. So how to study effectively, um, how to, like, manage doing a PhD. Mm. Um, You know, I'm not a mum, but for you, obviously, it's also managing your, like... Life as a mum, as well as a PhD candidate, as well as a therapist. Um, And, you know, we both come from very different angles in that regard. So I think this podcast is going to be a lot about how we manage, like, really busy, intense lives and how we sort of get through it reasonably unscathed.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it doesn't come without its its bumps in the road, right? Mm-hmm. And and like taking the mum aspect away from it. Obviously, it's a huge part of my life, but just managing your 20s, managing your 20s in in a role that is so that can be so demanding. Yeah, definitely.
1: Know? And in in a way that like we haven't seen people operate in their 20s before. This is very new for us, I feel like we're on the cusp of like millen like being a millennial or Gen Z. Yeah. Um, like we're in that in between. I'm technically, I think, a millennial. I don't know about you. I identify as a Gen, as Gen Z. Z. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I like personally relate to the Gen Z. Yeah. But but, but I am, I think, just on paper, millennial, um, the last of the millennials. But I I do think that like we are uh, the way we live our twenties is quite different from other generations, and so it. Can be really daunting, and to a lot of people, I guess the same age as us, it's pe- a lot of people are unsure how to live their twenties effectively, yeah. or they're really unsure if they are yeah. living their life correctly or or not, and can yeah. cause a lot of anxiety, and yeah, we're just like living in a very tumultuous time.
0: We are definitely, and you know, I think like a key reason why I personally wanted to start this podcast is because we are really living in in. A pivotal, a pivotal time in the world, right? Yeah. We've, we've had COVID. Yeah. We've had all these different cultural shifts happen, um, and to me, mental health and psychology is generally mm. at the center of that. Absolutely. And what we have at the moment is a lot of people uh, throwing out their lived experience, which is cool, which is great. I'm yep. Not saying there's anything bad about that, but. Um, I think it's important to have more kind of qualified angles on psychology yes. and on how to maneuver your twenties in this chaotic world, right? Yeah,
1: definitely. Especially yeah, in an age where there's a lot of information, especially the way we talk about mental health. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, on like on social media and, and TikTok, and the way we we have a lot more um, access to information that also may or may not be correct. Exactly. Um, from, like, through the lens of mental health. There's a lot more terminology being used now than it ever has before, which is in some ways really good mm. and really healthy, but mm. also some ways can be really misleading and make people feel like, I guess maybe they're
0: more uh, damaged than they are. Yeah, definitely. So. And throwing and throwing labels incorrectly. I mean, if there's, you know, if there is a certain topic that I do consider myself Being having a a large amount of expertise on is trauma and PTSD. I've dedicated the last four years to that subject and to treating people with that particular condition, right? And something that I almost find um, offensive at times is when that term is used incorrectly, particularly like PTSD, right? It's such a debilitating condition and it takes years to actually recover from it. So when people say... Like, when people throw out something really simple, like, uh, like oh, I dropped my kid off to daycare and he cried. Oh, he has PTSD. You know, mm, that's, that's so something that can be really damaging to someone else's mental health who has potentially suffered from PTSD, yeah. as an example. Like, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's debilitating for people because I know, obviously, there's the right... A lot of people are, you know, learning in themselves if they have had a traumatic past and if they, if they um, have PTSD. And obviously there's, um, the new term. I'm not sure if it's in the DSM or not. We can get to this, but complex PTSD, oh, yeah. which I'd love to ask you about. Um, but I think it can be really damaging for someone to be labeled incorrectly with PTSD and, um, you know, create a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy in this belief that they are more damaged than they are. And mm-hmm. then therefore living out a life where they're becoming very anxious and becoming very triggered. And, um, but then they have this label to say, no, no, no. Well, the internet said I have PTSD. Yep. Um, and yep. then, and then living out on um, those symptoms yep. and then actually creating those symptoms, um, mm-hmm. making it worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's a hundred percent what happens. Anything that you then have, experienced you initially like you end up associating with that diagnosis like oh I had a nightmare oh it's because I had PTSD. No it's because you had a nightmare. Okay. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And that's totally the same thing with like um like you was you were saying like ASD and ADHD. You know, that's something that we see on TikTok all the time.
1: All all the time. Or neurodivergency is one like that's just a term thrown around to describe I guess that sort of cluster of diagnoses, right? So there's ADHD, autism, and I guess some personality disorders as well. Mm-hmm. And if people are seeing, or I guess, and the thing is, is some people can relate to some of those symptoms, right? They see a video yeah. on the internet. Yeah. like, I've experienced those symptoms before. But then... Whether or not you have that diagnosis, if that functionally affects your life or not, is different. You can't assume that on your own. You might have a good idea and be able to direct yourself to therapy. But if you're self-diagnosing off the cuff, I can imagine that would be very debilitating Yeah. for somebody who, who might experience some of these symptoms. But, yeah, I don't know. Did you want to...
0: I, I think, like, I also just want to, like, disclaim it and say, like, if you do watch it on TikTok and you think that you have some of these symptoms and it normalizes things for you and makes it a smooth process, then then that's really great, you know? Like, it's always great to, um, yeah, to normalize mental health and to have a platform where you feel like you're not alone but what we're saying is that just because you have a cluster of these symptoms just because you are like you relate to these symptoms does mm. not mean that you fulfill a particular diagnosis that requires yeah. treatment and that significantly impairs your life in terms of functionality yeah and I think functionality when you are talking about a diagnosis and labeling yourself the degree that something affects you in your everyday life is how to me is how you should be judging that if some if you think you have depression and you can't get out of bed then mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. significant functional impairment like so and you would define
1: yeah that sig- that functional impairment by not doing day-to-day tasks like you should so if the the symptoms are so strong that you're a, avoiding tasks you need to do, um, like, yeah, if the feeling doesn't pass within a certain period of time, like, again, I'm not a clinician, so I'm not sure, but there, I know that for But you are a cognitive psychologist. But, again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there's certain, like, time frames as well that these feelings have to last for in order for them to be classified as a diagnosis. Definitely. So, So, I know with anxiety, I think for generalized anxiety disorder, you have to experience... A number of symptoms for six months or more yeah so it's yeah. like you know because you can have acute periods of stress in your life that you know set off final yeah. flight responses that yeah. mimic anxiety but whether or not it's a disorder an ongoing thing yeah is is quite different
0: yeah, Um definitely
1: but but yeah like you said on the other on the other hand though on the positive um through a positive lens like you know um seeing mental health be talked about this much now is good in a lot of ways Yes. because I guess, you know, so for people who feel a certain way and they feel like they can relate to a certain video where someone's describing, for example, like what it's like to have PTSD, then they might be able to identify that in themselves and then go seek out treatment.
0: Definitely. So
1: that is the positive and it's a lot better than in the, you know, in the decades ago when people would never talk about their mental health and it yeah. was shameful to talk about your mental health yeah. so we're yeah. definitely like worlds ahead but i think now we're at a tipping point where like everything is a diagnosis everything yes. is a pro- like everything is a problem yeah. everyone's got everyone's got every single disorder under the sun and yeah, where where do you think that comes from? Do you think people find comfort in being
0: able to like identify with those labels? Oh man, I don't know. I really I really don't know. I think like what I've heard in therapy is sometimes yes, a label is comfort, but again, most of the time that's with people who are actually severely functionally impacted by right. something. They don't necessarily understand what it is. And right. so saying that hey your cluster of symptoms is related to this diagnosis kind of helps them helps them go okay this is my label and the critical point here is mm-hmm. now what do we do about it now how do we manage these symptoms yep. so that so that i can live my life day to day and and the thing is is we can bypass this whole diagnosis part in uh, entirely you can see throughout that process because you can you don't necessarily have to give a diagnosis to give treatment to a mm-hmm. certain number of symptoms Um, So, for example, like like with anxiety, like, yeah, you can postulate that someone either has social anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, but you can treat what they're experiencing without necessarily saying to someone, this is your label. And that's the other thing about labeling is people can be so significantly impacted by a label to the point where it dictates their life. And like you said earlier, they relate everything to that label. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it can be very debilitating. So so that's why... I guess that's why like things like TikTok and mislabeling um, can be really damaging to right. some people. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yeah. it definitely
1: does. Um, and I guess, you know, if you start explaining all of your behaviors by saying, well, that's a symptom. And and I especially think that if you are starting to avoid things um, because, you know, oh, I've got PTSD, so that will set me off, you know, Mm. that just fosters anxiety, Mm. right? Like avoidance Mm. does lead to you fearing something more. So you might even create your own symptoms and therefore create (laughs) your own mental health problem. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least exacerbate some symptoms that you had and then... Then actually impair your functioning. Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess you know the the best thing to do if you feel like you are experiencing some um, symptoms, or you feel like you relate to uh, some common themes that you see on the internet relating to whether it be autism or ADHD or something like that is to see a, a medical professional.
0: Yeah, definitely. See your GP, get a mental health care plan. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how the system in the US works, but just go see an actual qualified therapist yeah. who can run some tests, diagnose you, if that's what you're seeking for. And, and if you, if these symptoms are giving you distress, again, go see a clinician. Yeah, yeah. Symptom management is, is key for anything, right? Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: And... I guess now, like, you know, so we've covered sort of it can be difficult to ascertain if you've got a certain diagnosis or if you're just experiencing symptoms and that, you know, the best thing to do in that case is to go and see a clinician. But um, you're a practitioner, you're a clinician. Would you be able to define a few different um, disorders. Would you be able to define specifically the difference between like complex PTSD Mm. and PTSD?
0: Mm. Um, oh well complex PTSD, like I think we're I guess we're talking about it because like I'm not a I'm not a big TikToker, but do you think it's something that's mentioned quite a bit on social media? I feel like the rise of PTSD is quite is like
1: very much trending. Yeah. Um and maybe occasionally complex PTSD. I don't know if too many people know the difference. I even get confused on the difference. So,
0: um, yeah. Yeah. So someone I was collaborating with, um, actually designed like a novel complex, uh, PTSD scale, which basically means is a certain, a certain way that we measure, uh, PTSD and complex PTSD. I'm just going to say that complex PTSD is not recognized in, um, something that we use to diagnose, in the American and Australian system, it's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. I think a lot of people may have heard that term mm. before, but not a lot of people have. so yeah it's just a giant it's just a giant book size yeah. of a Bible that psychologists use to diagnose people. Um, there's also something that you call an ICD, which is um, it stands for International Classification of Diseases, I believe that's European, that has complex PTSD in it. And that's kind of come in quite recently. Um, and the, the whole, like, um, I realize that I'm kind of starting to bore people with technicalities. I'm sorry. But the the main difference between uh, complex PTSD and PTSD is complex trauma is highly related to things that have, that have happened in your childhood. So that's repeated sexual abuse, repeated rape, or... Um, it could also be repeated damage in combat. Um, and, and it happens over a prolonged amount of time, whereas PTSD in general is from one or two kind of isolated events. But this is where it gets confusing because you don't know whether complex PTSD, it, complex PTSD can arise from like two things, right? So it just, I guess, depends on mm. the impact, the impact that it has. On your life Um, and the impact of complex PTSD is generally prolonged and more intense such that you have these really core rigid beliefs about the world and you have a real difficulty in emotionally regulating, Um, you have a real difficulty in distress tolerance and then it gets really tricky because you overlap with a diagnosis like borderline personality. So I'm just going to say like a couple of examples of that is you think that the world is dangerous and you concretely believe that and you've you avoided all people, places for... A really long time because of a certain event that has happened to you. Does that kind of make yes. sense? Yeah. Yep, yep. And this is years. This is
1: years so, of suffering, right? We can think of CPS, uh, CPTSD as more of a culmination of traumatic events layered over and over and over again. Perfect. Right. Yes. Whereas PTSD... Yeah. And I guess if someone comes in experiencing these symptoms, they could have both technically. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, cause there might have been one really, really bad event surrounded by lots of other consequences to that event or, or yeah, other little smaller yeah. traumas that build up. But, you know, someone could have PTSD from a one off event like a car crash mm-hmm. or the death of someone yes. in a traumatic way or like, like um, some, some particular event. Um okay, so
0: that's sort of the difference there yes, and and the the reactivity is also really important, okay, so if you have a lot of emotional outbursts, if you have a real hard time calming down okay. after you're upset, right things like that, okay um yeah and, and and that can get tricky because again, it can be misinterpreted, so I don't want to dive too much into it, but. Yeah. If once again, it all reels back to if you think that you're experiencing this symptom pattern and if you uh, have have experienced um, very distressing events uh, in the kind of in your lifetime that are you think are really impacting you, then, then please go see uh, a clinician. Yeah. Yeah.
1: OK, so on that, you mentioned a few symptoms that people might experience or, or like have significant difficulty with, which is like emotional regulation or, um, calming down. So like getting really upset and taking a long time to recover from that. So I guess, you know, that's depending on, on what's going on in my own life. Like just as a, as a lived example is like, if I'm going through, um, because uh, I think everyone experiences difficulty
0: sometimes with emotional regulation, Oh, Oh, right? 100%. It's something that's just, like, generalized to just... To just everyone. To, okay. I don't care how emotionally composed you are, you've got yeah, you've got, you're going to lose it. It's going to be a
1: breaking point for everyone. So, okay. That's interesting. So, um, and I guess for everyone, if everyone does experience difficulties with like emotional regulation at some points. It's going to be during times of your life that are quite stressful or there's a lot on. Yeah. And you just kind of reach that breaking point. And what I wanted to ask or touch on is is when someone is struggling to emotionally regulate that's clearly a nervous system response, right? Mm -hmm. Like a fight or flight response or something is going, and the body is saying danger, 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 and it's going on for longer than it should. Hence, you can react in ways that's like having a a meltdown or crying and not being able to stop, having a panic attack, lashing out at someone, Um, maybe just freezing up and not doing anything, right? So I think, you know... I'd like to talk to you particularly about the different kinds of ways we can emotionally react in a negative way.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like reactivity and like your ability to regulate yourself, like definitely just touches everyone. Whether like I personally see it in my life in myself as like a mom and other parents, right? Like you see like other parents, just absolutely losing it at their kid, um, and and that's yep. that is right. no matter how no matter how your child behaves, that is your ability to emotionally regulate right. yourself and lose it at them or not. Yeah, um,
1: I've seen that. If like again, I'm not a mum, so and I don't know the <laughs> because, experience. Like no judgment, no judgment. But everyone like like that
0: does that. because
1: oh, I can't imagine. I was like, if I had this dependent on me, and I was, that, that would be a very easy way to make me reach breaking point is if I mm-hmm. had a little mini-me, mm-hmm. like, just, nah, mm-hmm. nah, 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 and if I was stressed and whatever, <laughs> I can sort of, and I've seen parents, like, in public sort of just burst out <laughs> and, like, scream at their child or something, and, you know, it's like you, that you can very viscerally see the emotional reactivity to something like that. Yeah.
0: But, so it's, like, it's one of those things where, like, Do you pay attention to it? No, you just leave it. But it is in the back of your mind. And I feel like, I don't know, whether you're a parent or not, like, that doesn't even matter. Like, you can do it, you can do it here, right? Like, Like, I've heard people, like, I don't know, just randomly... Just randomly scream out of nowhere.
1: Because <laughs> they've just like had a stressful day and then all of a sudden it's like bah! I just can't yeah. have it anymore. Yeah, you can't hold it in. Absolutely. I like I can personally relate to that so much. If there's just again, lots of little things that grind on you through the day, you might not even notice. And then especially in the evening. Yeah. When I've run out of capacity, so I'm physically quite exhausted because it's yeah. the end of the day. I might not have achieved what I needed to achieve in the day, that adds stress. And then I might be hungry.
0: I might be, and so like
1: all of my vitals are like running low. It's like a car. Like on... it's
0: it's like a co- a game of COD or something. Like yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know yeah. When you have the
1: bar. And it's like, and... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. like, the screen is starting to like flash red. Flash red. And you know, you've got about eight seconds before you have to respawn. Like <laughs> yeah.
0: And then and then during those eight seconds, something happens. Like something your kid happens. loses it, or like yeah, you get a stressful
1: email. Or, just, or you'll say something you'll regret or you'll do something you <laughs> regret and I think that's you know so that's clearly like you know, and, and the ways in which you can emotionally overreact um, can be expressed in different ways so for me I'll, I might just like burst out crying and like yeah. and just and be so stressed and just like want to like run away so my, my and like just go hide in my room and like close the doors and not speak to anyone and and, and and just listen to some music until it goes away. Yeah. You know, I just want everything to stop and I suppose that could be described as like a flight response. Yeah. Like, just make yeah. it all stop. I just want to go and run away and cry yeah. and until it all blows over.
0: Yeah. I'm, um, I'm the same. I'm yeah. totally the same. I'm an internalizer and I'm a crier. Like, if something goes yeah. wrong in my world, I internalise it. It's me. It's my fault. It's yep. because of something that I did. Yep. I, didn't, I didn't do something well and I'm going to generally cry yeah 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 yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like so no, embarrassing it's too gonna, it is it's like yeah it is and it's
1: like it's hard I think as well because some if you start crying especially if you're not alone because it's not it's a good thing if I'm o- emotionally overreacting a good tactic for me is to kind of isolate have a, an emotional meltdown because I'll feel better afterwards and it will pass Mm-hmm. And it's good if I'm not yeah. around other people for them to see that because I, <laughs> I might not, you know, who knows what's happening. Yes, if I can't isolate to cry and just get that out of my system and if I'm in front of people, crying in front of people can be really embarrassing yeah. and it makes you look weak. And it's like I might not even be sad. I might just be angry yeah. and I'm crying all yeah. of a sudden, especially when I'm in, like in an argument. Yeah. But now yeah. I look like now I look pathetic and it's like, <laughs> I I and I know. just, I don't want to cry, but it's going to happen. And it's not because I'm sad. Yes. It's like, <laughs> I'm just so angry and everything is too much. Or
0: you're just, or you're just so stressed. I've done this as well. And I'm really hoping that it's kind of somewhat protected because of the industry we're in, which is psychology. But yeah, I don't know. Like there's been times where I've like lost it to, um, like someone someone superior like someone above me who like yes. Yes. is experiencing like he like knows knows what i'm doing like understands my projects and and while i go to that person for compassion and like i mean my team my team is fantastic for that is still Embarrassing! It's so like embarrassing. I cannot believe yeah, that right. I just said this. I can't believe I cried. Yeah, <laughs> like and and then you kind of you go into a shell of yourself after totally after an emotional breakdown, right? Yeah, I I often think this
1: like um about myself if I because I talk a lot. I'm a massive extrovert. I just blah 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 blah, blah. My mouth is just going a million miles an hour. And maybe even if I'm not. Um, Maybe even if I'm not on the verge of tears yet, I might just still be like deeply distressed, emotionally reacting, talking a million miles an hour. And I will say things and and maybe, I guess, admit vulnerable things about how I'm feeling to people that I don't want knowing that stuff Mm. about me. Mm. Like in the office or something, I might like just constantly... I mean, we have a very generally supportive office space. But like sometimes I'm like, I wish I just... I wish I just didn't didn't say say all that that. stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, because now I've calmed down and now I'm like, oh, there was no need to share all of that or to talk so much or or whatever. But that's, you know, what we do in in those moments of fight or flight. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And I think that there's uh, supportive people around us. And I think that we all do this to a certain extent, particularly when you're in a really stressful role and you're in a really kind of in a role. Like for me, like... I have to listen I don't I don't have to I'm being negative about that I I get to and I feel very privileged to do this but I'm in a role where I'm in a therapist chair and it can be you can take on a lot of that emotion yeah but then but then you like you outburst that emotion in the wrong setting in the wrong place at the wrong time sometimes and I think we can all relate to that and it's just it's just not fun it's just stressful Okay, so we've discussed quite a bit. So we've talked about,
1: so like, I guess we can rule out that no matter who you are and no matter if you um, have a mental illness or not, um, or if you've got any, like, regardless of your physical or mental situation, everyone will have emotional outbursts and um, fail to emotionally regulate effectively, at least... Uh, I mean, at least once a day, I have a freak out. <laughs> so it's, it's common, you know, and like the way we behave is very, like can be explained by, you know, nervous system regulation and, and everybody. Yeah, again, you can be as cool, calm and collected as possible. You could be a Lithuanian monk. I don't care. You are going to lose it at some stage um, and in different ways. So um, I guess and, and knowing about my own nervous system and how i emotionally react to things what what how i react and what i usually react over i've i know some ways in which i can manage that and reduce the likelihood of me reaching to an emotional outburst yeah so that i don't do anything you know that like anything that um involves like a social consequence like crying in front of people or like you know, losing yeah. all my productivity yeah. for the day because I'm having a panic attack or like whatever. Yeah. And there's some certain things you can do before that stage. I mean, obviously, sometimes you're just going to have to like just it's have just a gonna good happen cry. Sometimes. Just going to happen, and that's okay. Yeah, you're not a bad person. It's all good. You just humans aren't like humans aren't robots. No. Um. There's like actually a really great like Brene Brown quote that's um uh that is humans. Uh, we think that we are thinking beings that have emotions, but we're actually emotional beings that occasionally think. And I can't, Brene Brandt has said it. I'm not sure if it's her quote directly, but I love that because yeah. we are so emotional. And I think it's important to have self compassion mm-hmm. when you do have a meltdown or whatever. It's just, it's literally just your nervous system. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with you, but there are ways you can manage
0: it. It is an overdrive. And I'm just going to like add on to that as well by saying that, like, the conditions that we work under in general in today's in today's life, mm. particularly if you're in like a high-pressure job, we're, our brains aren't designed to handle that. Our brains are not designed to do that, right? <laughs> By the way, you know that thing that you were saying about a Lithuanian monk? Yes. Yeah. So I have heard this. I've heard that monks throughout this like process of meditation and mm. stuff like that, that they end up... Not feeling negative emotion, but they also just, like, don't feel positive emotion either. Whoa. So it's like a double-edged sword. Damn.
1: Damn. Yeah. Like, they're just, like, pretty calm.
0: Yeah.
1: So maybe <laughs> so they, <don't>, maybe <laughs> they do emotionally regulate really
0: well. They just regulate themselves to the point of, <laughs> of, of being so yeah. present. Of being so present that you just don't feel uh, in, is e- it, emotion to any
1: large degree. degree well sometimes i wonder if experiencing too high emotion is like also a bad thing like i don't know yeah. i'm not an expert yeah. on this but yeah. like because sometimes i get like extremely excited when i receive positive feedback from someone <laughs> like it's like crack to me like yeah. i will like if like any sort of academic validation oh academic validation 100 and it will send me into a state of euphoria and then i'm like why that shouldn't be the thing i like hinge my entire happiness on it's like it's a weird thing that's a
0: perfectionism it's thing, so crazy that
1: it's like but that it, like I, ex- the emotion i'm experiencing is positive yeah but it's so high it's like i am on cloud nine because someone's like said something
0: yeah
1: like to me saying like that uh, or i've gotten a publication or something like that like it's like so like into my brain as yeah. like that's really positive. And that feels good. It feels good to congratulate you, but I get so excited that if I'm not doing those things, then I feel like I'm a failure. Which yeah. Which like, yeah. that's like the one downside of some like positive emotions when you feel them really intensely. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, but anyways, back to, I guess, managing like emotional reactivity. Mm. Um, and we, and particularly like the negative emotional outbursts that we're Mm. all inevitably going to experience like so for me i think i never really understood or appreciated meditation Mm. and i know everyone Mm -hmm. talks about that Mm -hmm. and i used to be like well it just doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. because i'm too i'm going 12 million rotations a second and i'm just like too much of a high person but for me like yoga and meditation and like i go to a yoga class now I've taken the approach that it – no, I, I, I'm a pretty, like, um, uh, high-frequency person like in the sense that I'm, like, like constantly buzzing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it takes a lot to calm me down. Like, a, it's a, it's hard to pull yeah. that – like, to slow that wheel down. Um, but I've taken the approach that if I can calm myself down 5%, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. if I go into yoga and I leave 5%, I might still be more anxious or, or more um, – I might still be more buzzing than, yeah. like, the average Joe, but I will be 5% more chill mm-hmm. than I was when I went in there. And I think taking a more, like, good enough approach has really helped encourage me to try out meditation and yoga and these mm-hmm. mindfulness-based activities because even if it calms me down a tiny little bit, that might make all the difference Yeah, over, yeah. over the week, over a month, yeah. over a year.
0: I think, like... On that point, like mindfulness and mindfulness is a whole chapter to to unpack. But I think like for me personally, I'm also a high energy person Um, and meditating in the sense of traditional meditation of of watching your thoughts go past is something that isn't necessarily effective for me if I'm sitting still at the end of the day and, Mm. and going through that process. But if I do do something like yoga, I think that's still a form of meditation because yes. I am watching my thoughts, particularly with a practice like mm. yoga, right? You mm. are watching your thoughts go by, but, but you're also constantly grounding yourself through the action of like the pose that you're yep. in and yep. listening to the instructor and kind of like feeling your feet on the mat, for yep. example. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like, that's definitely my form of meditating. Yeah. And, and I think, like, I think that that's also important to kind of comment on is that if traditional meditation doesn't necessarily work for you, if you're not finding a benefit in that to just try mm. different ways of doing it. Like, I know for people as well, like, running is really mm-hmm. grounding and running is really helpful in the sense that, when you are physically exerting yourself, really unhelpful thoughts do come out that you have to watch and that you have to kind of push through in a physical sense. Yeah. Um. And, and you can you have to just kind of watch the thought and and bear with it yes. to the point where it it does go away. Mm-hmm. Um, does mm-hmm. that make sense?
1: No, no, it does because like um you know when you're engaging in an activity like that. Like uh, if you're running on a run or you're um, in a yin class, you can't distract yourself from those thoughts by whipping out your phone or whatever. So you are forcing yourself for an hour to go into this class and literally lie in a child's pose for 10 minutes at a time sometimes. And you sit there Mm -hmm. and that is like, again, and I, you know, in an ideal way, you're supposed to like be really focused on just like being and like focus on the on the feelings of the sense and not try and um, ruminate too mm-hmm. much and obviously you know that's very difficult when you're just starting out with meditative processes like you're going to think things like they're just gonna pop into your head and that's, yeah yeah that's okay and that's
0: that's but that's reminiscent of your everyday life exactly yeah. like with
1: you know and so but if you force like the thing is is your body and mind are like quite well linked so if you put your body into a pose that says we're safe we're good we're mm-hmm. grounded your brain eventually follows even a little bit yeah so even so if you get yourself into a child's pose or like a happy baby or like you know different like i mean you know they're hard to describe just on a podcast but if you like look at different yin poses mm-hmm. and you mm. just have to sit there in it for 10 minutes you're telling your body like we're safe everything's good it's not tensed You know, Mm. you're just, you know, you're stretching out a muscle or something like that. And then eventually your brain, even if you are a super intense, like, person who's, you know, on the more anxious end of things, um, you will experience some benefit. Even if it doesn't feel like you're this super zen, like, you know, you were totally mindful the entire time. You know, you shouldn't be super perfectionistic Mm. about Mm. that and have some realistic standards. But yeah, I definitely find that those activities are help me even, like, a tiny little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think that that, like, Zen people, or, like, Zen, I'm I'm doing inverted commas, people who are considered Zen, they still go through pain. They're not just yeah. always calm. Yeah. They're not always in that calm state. Yeah. And it takes a lot to achieve a state where you experience a lot of distress in your everyday life and you're willing to, just tolerate that or kind of let it wash over you and ride Mm. the wave and Mm -hmm. continue throughout your day without letting it destroy you or ruin you to some extent. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I I think like yoga in terms of mindfulness used to be very beneficial for me. I really like, like, yeah, running as well. But just any kind of grounding exercise I find really helpful. Like, yeah. washing, even washing your face or, like, jumping in the shower. Yeah. Like, just something that can bring you sort of down to earth, Yeah, you know? I thought
1: you were about to say, like, washing your clothes. And I was like, yes, because I love laundry.
0: Well, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so it depends what
1: it this could be. But, but I... Yeah, doing, I know what you mean, like, doing an activity yeah. that's, like, you can just get, like... You just focused on that moment rather than thinking about the world ending or, you know, all the jobs you have to do that you haven't done or whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also think, like, I mean, if we're talking about cleaning, like, creating a calm space, a calm physical environment Mm. that's predictable, I think, is really important for my personal mental health. I don't know about you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, it... Having Mm. a clean... And the older I get, the more I treasure a clean, organized space. Like, I cannot move forward, like, without things being organized, and not looking cluttered. Um, And that really is, you know, messy bed, messy head. Like, I have Mm, to mm. have that. There's nothing like coming home to a nice, clean house where things are organized. If I come home and there's – because it's just adding – adding extra things you've got to think about on Definitely. your plate. So it, we live in a very fast paced world. We're very busy. We're going to be more susceptible than we were in the past when mm-hmm. it comes to emotionally flipping out. Yeah. Right. Cause we've got way more things to think about. So, you know, it's, um, I think important, the more you can push off. My dad talks about this is the plate. Like yeah. you, you have a plate of things you can put on. You can only put so much on the plate Yeah. and whatever you can push off. Is is good. It's like you know. Sometimes you're just so busy. You just. It's gonna be better for your mental health to just cut out a particular activity that's adding stress to it.
0: Definitely.
1: And reducing the plate involves having a clean and organised space because if you have a really
0: messy home, you can't find anything
1: that's adding stuff to the plate that doesn't need to be there.
0: Hundred percent. And I think like for me, I mean, that used to be a lot easier, but now um, having a child, like, it is a bit harder in that. You literally just pull, you clean up a toy, you pull it out again, so so it can be messy. But something for me, something small that I do, it is a bit of a ritual, is um, before bed every night, I do something called closing the kitchen, (gasps) and I make everything perfect for the next day. Yes. Because I know if I go downstairs to make a cup of coffee in the morning, that... If things are messy, if there's dishes in the sink or the floor is dirty in Mm -hmm. that kitchen, in that particular space, that is going to make me clean. It's going Mm -hmm. to make me stressed. And it's also going to um, activate decision-making processes that are not going to Mm -hmm. be beneficial for me throughout the day. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to like diminish the amount of decision fatigue that I have in the morning. So I am more productive in my work life.
1: Absolutely. So you're not thinking about like, oh, I've got all this, you know, you you know, you've only got so much room in your brain to dedicate to, you know, my, you know, my becoming in for uni, doing a, like a big analysis, or a lot of work, a lot of writing. So you want to dedicate as many... As much brain power you can to that. Yeah. And as little to something like, oh, no, the house is a mess. I can't find anything. I don't know where my yeah. keys are. I don't know where my... I haven't got a packed lunch. I've got to think about buying lunch later. I haven't got... Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I love that idea of, like, closing the kitchen or, like, putting the kitchen to bed.
0: Yeah. There's... Putting the kitchen to bed. It's like putting Put it that to bed. bed.
1: It's like... It's so good. I love it. I Nothing makes me happier than the sound of the dishwasher just humming and like, <laughs> and just turning off all the lights and like everything smelling a little bit like ajax like yeah just, like yeah, yeah, yeah. that night and it's like ah oh, and then knowing like i've got my lunchbox in the fridge ready to go and you know everything and then i've got my coffee mug out ready for my morning <laughs> coffee like a little
0: like i'll little take it to the extreme like i'll get yeah i'll get everything we should totally do a decision fatigue episode yeah i think that's really i think that that's something that's helped me so much throughout my life and i think that this idea of like minimizing decision fatigue is a really important part of a self-care ritual yes yeah yeah yeah,
1: definitely like the less is your brain is an organ yeah you know it's got in the same way if you exhaust any other organ in your body you're gonna experience symptoms like you you know if you put a lot of pressure on like your body to to go for a 10k run when you've never done a 10k run before yeah you know, your your heart and everything, everything's gonna be very like oh no i you know and yeah you're
0: gonna be in a fight or flight <sighs> the whole yeah time. like yeah. you know
1: even if you do push through that you're gonna be exhausted at the end you're gonna have no space to do anything else because you yeah. just added something to the plate that was so big as i think we forget that our brains are also organs and we need to not overload it with decisions that, yeah, if you can minimize, the, if you can create so much ease in every other aspect of your life, then all of the hard stuff is reserved for the things that need hard decision-making. Definitely. For. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else? What al- in terms of, like, helping you to regulate yourself throughout the day, what else do you think helps? Um,
1: I... So I've started doing drawing a lot more. Yeah, like I love yeah. doing art stuff. And again, you, I think you know I'm a big fan of like uh, like paint by numbers and stuff like that as well. Mm, For some people, mm. I, I, or any sort of craft, it's an outlet. Um,
0: it's a form of an outlet. outlet.
1: Yeah, and I am not musical, um, so I don't play any instruments. But I imagine it's like the same sort of you get into this creative flow where t- time starts to like disappear. Yeah, and you're engaged in something creative. And honestly, I think that that can be quite soothing. Well, that is mindfulness. Yeah, that's my, yeah, exactly. So it's just getting lost in this creative flow and and whether, and yeah, you know, I guess you don't have to be like good at it. You don't have to be it, but if it can kill an hour for you and like that is a, you've just done a mindfulness activity for an hour, Mm -hmm. that's going to be amazing on your mental health. Like now, you know, I think having that, um, is is just yeah just really useful engaging Mm -hmm. in some sort of creative activity you know as as we get older and we become adults we like lose a lot of those Mm. things or or you know just sort of yeah doing something even if you've got like starting knitting or like yeah yeah yeah, it doesn't have have just having a hobby having a hobby having
0: a hobby because work is I'm, I don't know. I don't really... I used to believe in this, but I don't really believe in this idea anymore. Work is not your hobby. Yeah. Work, work is yeah, work. Yeah. It's and it's just important work. to have purpose outside
1: oh, of work. A thousand percent. I fully believe that. I, If I were to sit at my computer for 12 hours a day, punishing myself, being like, you have to get this PhD done, mm-hmm. and if you... Take a break, or you have a hobby, then you're a bad person. It means you don't care about your PhD. If you're not an all-in career woman boss babe, then yeah, you you know you suck. And it's like, actually, no. You know what? I get way more achieved. Yes. When I work a six-hour day. Yes. And that's max, dude. Like, you know, I can I can wrap up a lot in four hours, Mm -hmm. but if Mm -hmm. I've taken care of myself, that's the Mm -hmm. condition. I can't just
0: yeah because. can I just say, yeah. because when you're taking care of yourself, you are easy, You can easily access a flow mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. work-wise. You can easily yep. access a, a flow state where you can achieve so much in so little yeah, time. In
1: little time. Absolutely. I have that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because, you know, the, the best parts of your brain are
1: now working. Mm. You're way more innovative, creative, better at problem solving. And a lot of what we do, like in a PhD at least, is problem solving. Yeah. Um, yeah. So much, all the time. And it's, it's unique, like... Okay, if you're tired and run down and exhausted, solving a complicated problem, probably going to take you all day. Mm-hmm. Probably going to take you mm-hmm. all day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably going to be painful and you're going to hate it and you're going to resent doing your PhD. Yeah. And that's that's not just PhD specific. That's like anything that's mentally demanding,
0: at least. Yes. Um, yes. I, so. I think we can all like relate to that in the sense of like, can you like think back to a time at work where you've had something difficult that you need to solve when you can't figure it out for example like I was trying to figure out like a line of code yesterday and I was like um like I was I was uh trying to wrap my head around it for like an hour right Mm -hmm. and then I walked away I took a break and during that break I was like oh my god it's because I'm not doing this and it's The easiest answer as well. It's such an easy solution. But Mm -hmm. when we're under a state of pressure, when we're putting all that pressure on ourselves, we're not in a state of flow, it's so hard to achieve. So I think it's important to walk away from your work and come back. Because ultimately, you will be more productive. You will get more done. Yeah. Yeah. To me.
1: Like, yeah, without a doubt. I'd rather spend... 4 hours of like productive work and enjoy what I'm doing too because you yeah. feel so good when you are making moves forward. If I sit there staring at something for ages and I've done nothing on it, it there's no point. I may as well have gone home and yeah. had a good night's sleep. Like why? Exactly. You know, exactly. so that's 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 the real problem I guess I have with like uh I mean again, and some jobs like it depends what job you've got. It does. But in our field where like it's very product based and not so much time it's not like you're clocking in for a shift and you have to be there for a certain period of time no but you
0: have to be extremely productive but you have to be
1: extremely productive and so really if you can get that done in four hours rather than 12 why not like that—that exactly. that is what i'm and and if there are things that can make your life easier um and less stressful then yeah and i and that's on that actually i'm a big fan of like collaboration and asking friends for help when you need it too yeah and if we if we go back to other ways to like help yourself not reach breaking point reaching out for help early before Mm -hmm. i mean obviously Mm -hmm. like you know when you reach breaking point yeah you might want support from friends as well and you know good good friends will be be there as a a shoulder to cry on in Mm -hmm. that moment but knowing when to ask for help early on
0: yeah like that's a
1: big one yeah. yeah and so that so that you can so that a problem doesn't become a big problem.
0: Exactly. You know, and exactly. that's like, because,
1: you know, if you if you look at the monster early, you realize it's not a monster, it's actually just, it's you know... It's not. It's a little guinea pig. It is,
0: it is. And then if you feed yeah. the guinea pig negativity, it's going to become yeah. a monster. If, if
1: you don't look at the guinea pig, the guinea yep. pig's going to turn into a bear. I don't know. <laughs> yeah! Is it like, and then all of a sudden it's like, now you've got this thing. So I think, you know, be, but also knowing... You know, making sure you're talking to the right people as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Not everyone is trustworthy, like, you know, um, and you don't want to, you don't want to ask for for help from the wrong people or people that are going to add stress to you or or criticize you for, you know. But, like, if if you've got trust people that you can talk to before you reach a a point, uh, a breaking point, that is another strategy that I use to stop me from having meltdowns as
0: often. 100%. All right, so you know we've covered like a number of things. We've mm. covered label self labelling, yeah. Um, when to actually seek help. Um, yep. talked about some emotional regulation strategies. Um, and kind of introduced ourselves and introduced what this podcast is going to be about. Yeah. Uh, I really like. I think it's a little bit clunky because we are just starting out, but yeah, you know, we'll we'll get there. Definitely. Um, There's yeah. So
1: that was hopefully, you know, this is. Yeah, things get a little bit smoother, but I think we've sort of encapsulated at least what we want this podcast to be about. It's, yeah. Again, yeah. Managing your 20s and all the things that come along with being in your 20s, living yeah. st- a stressful, like fast-paced life in a fast-paced world, Yeah, and yeah, how to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. If you've liked this podcast, then please like, subscribe, and comment down below. Um, and, and let us know what you'd like to see in future episodes.
1: Yep. And we'd love to hear your feedback or any thoughts you might have. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.